This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. about last week. And before we start, I just want to reemphasize, I said this in the very beginning of last week, you may not have remembered it, but my desire for you guys in missional training is that ultimately you guys would become critical thinkers of culture. So you'd be able to look at culture, see the waters we're swimming in, and look at them through a biblical lens and say, is that biblical or is it not? That's my ultimate goal. And some of you guys are not wired that way. I get it. Some of you are not. It's like my son William. Today, Sully has been obsessed with bouncing a basketball. You've probably seen him. And so he's been counting how many times he can do it. And William said, I can do that. And so Sully passed him the ball, and he bounced it once, and it went off his knee, and he turned to me and said, I can't do that. <laughs> That's why I carry it around. <laughs> so, um, it's like, of course he can do that, right? And in the same way, you also, if you feel like you're not wired to be a critical thinker, you, you can learn how to be a critical thinker. And that's my ultimate desire, but there's so much that would go into that. And I just want you guys to begin to enter into the conversation about culture and how the Bible interacts with culture. What is good about culture? What is bad? There is good. There is good in culture. What is bad about culture? And how we should live as Christians in this world. So this last week um, we and this week, we're only talking about identity one piece of the puzzle, one piece of talking about culture, and it's a hot topic right now. Um, so, uh, last week the main question was, what is your identity as Christians? You guys remember what I said your identity as Christians are? Blessing. A blessing, that's right. As a Christian, your identity is that you are a blessing. And so I had this statement up there, what you believe about your identity not only affects who you are, but it primarily affects how you live and behave. So it's important for you as a believer to understand what your identity is because that's what you're living out of. And um, a correct understanding of your identity is going to keep you from engaging with culture in a bad way. So I, I said there's three bad strategies that we talked about. What were those three bad strategies? Withdrawal. Yep, assimilation and domination. Withdrawal, domination, assimilation. Yep, yep. So withdrawal, domination, assimilation. Ah, um, uh, no, let's go back. Okay, um, so uh, before we get into this week, I really want you guys to have in your mind that you are a blessing. Because uh, identity is, everybody's asking this question. As Christians, we need to ask the question, what is our identity? And non-Christians are also asking the question, what is our identity? And you understanding your identity in Christ is not only going to help you engage in a loving way to people, but you're also going to be able to understand what isn't an identity that is in Christ. And you're going to be able to engage them in conversation and help them to see how their, their worldview is insufficient without Christ. So um, that's where we're going. Um, so here's, here, no. hold on. Okay, um, here's what I want you to think about. We cannot merely answer people's questions about religion. As Christians, we also need to question people's answers. This comes from Tim Keller. In his book, Reaching the West Again, I would highly recommend you read it. So we cannot merely answer people's questions. We also must question people's answers to life. So what he would say is this. No one can live without meaning, satisfaction, freedom, identity, forgiveness, given and received. 
resolution of moral questions, and a hope for the future. But the culture's way to provide these things ultimately will not work, and they will at least pinch and sometimes rip. If we have people's attention, we can, at the opportune time, point to the unsurpassed resources of Christianity for each. So he's making the argument that all of these things, culture is asking the same questions, and their answers to the questions are coming up short. And so not only as Christians do we need to be able to answer people's questions about Christianity, but we also need to be able to engage and lovingly poke holes in what they believe so to show them that what, what they believe is insufficient and it is falling short. And they feel that. Non-Christians actually feel that. So the main point this week is, what is the identity of a non-Christian? If, if the main question last week was, what is the identity of a Christian? The main question this week we're answering is, what is the identity of a non-Christian? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You guys want? Anybody? Blame is? Blame is? Yes. Um, thank you, Trinity. Thank you. Um, she, is, she is my highest. Um, no, so that, that is the question everybody's asking. Who am I? Who am I? Um, so, let's get into it. We're going to answer three questions. We're going to answer, what is identity? I'm going to hopefully give you a, an easy definition of that. The second question we're going to ask is, what is the modern identity? And the third question we're going to ask is, how can we question the answers of the modern identity? Now, even in answering these questions, what I tell you is going to be very insufficient. There's so much here. There's so much here. Okay? I'm, I'm wanting to give you a small tool, a small piece of the pie for you to be able to, to think about. Um, so first, we're going to talk about what is identity, but I want you guys to answer these two questions. Just by yourself, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. I want you to answer, what are you living for? What I mean by that is, what is your bottom line? And is there more than one competing purpose in your life? More than one thing that you're living for. And then below that, I want you to answer, what or who are you giving ultimate authority to tell you who you are? And are there competing authorities in your life? So go ahead and write it down. Think about it for a couple minutes, and then we'll move on. All right, the reason I ask you guys these questions is because these are fundamental to what an identity is. And um, a guy named uh, uh, Charles Taylor is a philosopher, well-respected <coughs> philosopher. He wrote a book, an important book, it's big, it says a lot of words, but he, he defines an identity like this. He says, sense of self 
and a sense of worth. So your sense of self is your purpose. That's what an identity is. Your self, uh, a sense of self, you have a purpose. What is your purpose? What are you living for, ultimately? What's your bottom line? And a sense of worth. Who is the one who can validate that you're doing a good job? Who's the one who tells you, yeah, that sense of self is right? Who are you giving ultimate authority to that? So everybody has this. And culture shapes everybody in thinking. It, it fills out these two things, and we'll look at that in a second. Sense of self, sense of worth. So I want to just take you through all of history. It's going to be about three hours. We're going to go through all of history and see how this is. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I am, we are going to look at history um, very briefly and see how in different eras the sense of self and sense of worth has been uh, placed differently. So, in ancient times, your sense of self was found in contribution to community. So if you were a man, you uh, were willing to die in battle, you were willing to chop a lot of wood, and um, if you were a woman, you were willing to have a lot of babies for the sake of the tribe continuing, and your sense of worth came from the community. The community was the one who told you whether or not you're doing a good job. So that was in ancient times. And then Greek philosophers came along, and they said, uh, this, your sense of self should come from moral absolutes. And what I mean by that is there is this cosmic morality that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what religion you come from, everybody agrees on these things. And everybody should align themselves to this. So now we're talking specifically about the West and how, how the West, Roman Empire, and, and us have, have thought about this. So there are moral absolutes. And the way you know that you are living up to those moral absolutes, because everybody knows what these are, is your community. If your community shuns you, it's because you're not living up to moral absolutes. Um, and then the Enlightenment came 2,000 years later. And the Enlightenment, if you've learned school in the 1600s, um, they changed things because for about a 1,000 years, everybody had been listening to the Catholic Church. Catholic Church had Bibles only written in Latin, and no one spoke Latin anymore. And so people were just living their lives based on the authority of a church that um, didn't let them investigate for themselves. And so their sense of worth, they said, no, there are still moral absolutes, but you must figure it out for yourself with your own reason, your own intellect. You need to be able to have the freedom in your mind to be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. Okay? Now, these, these are, this, is a good, this is a good thing. This, was, this came out of Christianity or the Reformation. Um, and then, a little later on, the Romantic era came. This is when the American Revolution happened, the French Revolution happened, and what they would say is, yeah, there's still moral absolutes, there's still things that everybody agrees on, but the way in which you can figure it out is reason, but also the emotion. You cannot fully understand um, the moral absolutes unless you dive into to how you feel about things and your desires. And now, today, we're in late modernity, which, Instead of moral absolutes, there is now moral relativism. So what that means is morals are relative to who you are as a person. What are your deepest desires? And that is your morality. Speak your truth. You do you. And your sense of worth is found in those emotions, those deep desires being satisfied. Does that resonate with anybody? Does that sound right to you? So, <laughs> don't say no. Um, so, um, I, if you can see, it's just an interesting timeline of how slowly it went from community to moral absolutes, moral absolutes, moral absolutes, but then community to reason from within yourself, reason and emotions. You know, it just slowly changed over time. Now, 
Um, I was going to put this in my talk, and I didn't. Taylor Nelly made a beautiful slide about the role of flesh and the devil, and how um, how things, uh, how your community, you, you really care about your community, thinks of you. And um, I just want to make the point that um, I think Satan has had a huge uh, role to play in this, in, in the um, devolving of, of us as humans, and what our sense of self and sense of worth comes from. Um, there are good things about this, and we're going to talk about that in, in a second. And I also want to say that this is not the ideal. Contribution to community and community. That's not the ideal, okay? We're going to get there. All right, so the good, the bad, and the ugly of the modern self. So this is question two. What is the modern self? Um, so your sense of self is your deepest desires. Your sense of worth is your deepest desires being fulfilled, being satisfied. Common phrases, speak your truth, you do you. When I was in school, no, maybe it was after I was in school, which really dates me. You only live once. Right, was that after? That was after we were in school, yep. Um, so a couple perspectives on this. I think this is, I just want to flesh out what it, what it means. Um, dignity, self-worth, is bestowed on people by holding fast to what you have decided, regardless of any claims anybody else places on you. So, in modernity, what we would say is, what I feel is right is what I need to stick to my guns. I need to stick to my guns, and that is very honorable, as opposed to changing my mind on something. You don't sacrifice yourself for what is good outside of you. You would rather sacrifice what's out here for the good within you, so that you could really figure out who you are and be the best version of you. The big argument in our minds happens in a different place. It used to be, the traditional would be, you go outside of yourself to find value in your community, and then you whip your heart into shape and say, listen, <laughs> you don't want to do this, but you have to do this. And then, in modernity, you go inside to find value, and you argue with culture and anybody else who had anything to say about your life and say, you have to honor me, because this is who I am. I have dignity simply because of my deepest desires. And it, there's a confusion between what our deepest desires are and our dignity. Now, where do we get dignity? God. We find our dignity in God, right? Man and woman, he created them. We have dignity because we are made in the image of God, not because of my deepest desires. We have dignity because we are made in the image of God. It's a very important point. Um, so here's, here's the good. Here's the good that comes from this. There is a striving for consistency with the heart so that one is not hypocritical. What I mean by that is this. Um, this verse, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What we would say now is we don't want to live hypocritically. We want our hearts to line up with what we're saying. And a lot of people, authenticity is a huge value in our culture, which is a very good value. We should value that. Um, and that's what they were struggling um, when, when Jesus said that. So that, that is a good thing. But here's the bad. The bad is that it believes that our deepest desires are fundamentally good in nature. And so therefore, we should follow our deepest desires. I actually really, really enjoyed the, um, the Bachelorette that you guys did. That was hilarious. And one of them said, we have decided to follow our hearts on this one. Even the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. <laughs> um, which, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Jeremiah 17.9 say that our hearts are filled with a lot of desires that are not good. Some of those desires are actually not bad desires, they're just misplaced. That is true. There are disordered desires. Some desires are just bad. There are just fundamentally bad desires in our hearts. Now again, I just want to keep reorienting you. You are a blessing. Your identity is in Christ. We're going to talk about that and what that, what that means for you. So don't, don't get bogged down by me. I don't want to bash you into the ground. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to make clear what the modern identity would, would say to us. Um, so I would say the heart is deceitful above all things. That's what, that's what the Bible says. Um, in James 1, verse 13 through 15, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, ladies, the word here is not his, but it's actually there. So you don't get out of this one. Everybody has bad desire. Um, so um, we know that the desires um, can be bad within our hearts. Uh, another way that it's bad is it blame shifts. So instead of finding um, what's wrong inside of me, we say, it couldn't be me. It's got to be outside here. It's got to be somewhere else. Um, you guys may have heard this before, but G.K. Chesterton was a Catholic um, author, early 1900s, and the London Times asked a lot of the eminent writers of the day um, to send in for, for publishing. What is wrong with the world? What is the biggest problem? And he said, dear sirs, I am. I am what is wrong with the world. And we don't think like that. We don't think like that as, as a culture. We think that there is good inside of me, and I want to bring that up. Um, which there is good inside of you. You're a blessing. Um, here's the third thing um, that's bad about it. It is individualistic, it is Western, and it is arrogant. What I mean by that is to say that my deepest desires are what matters most is to go against most of the other world's cultures. <laughs> Any, anywhere outside of Western culture, that's not how they think about it. They don't think individualistically. And so, I mean, it, it's, there's just an irony to us saying the individual is, is the most important thing, when in a lot of cultures they, they wouldn't say that. Um, and it goes against the point that, that modernity is trying to make. It, ironically, implodes on itself. This is the fourth thing. Because we're all walking on eggshells around one another. Because you've got desires and I don't want to mess with them. So you should, you should be able to do you and I'll, you know, I'm going to do my thing and I really don't want to offend you. We, it's like the individual, what I think of myself matters more than anybody else and what anybody else would think of me. And yet, I care so deeply what everyone else thinks about me because I don't want to offend anybody. So, um, that's the bad. The ugly. Stay with me. The ugly. Okay? We're, we're almost through this. Um, here are some examples that could be true in your life. These are many examples from my life, specifically my life. Um, staying up late on my phone and not resting when I should, to Emma's point because I feel this desire for instant gratification. And my deepest desire is that I would have instant gratification, so I stay up on my phone, looking at NFL articles. Um, or, resting too much. I want to take a nap, and then I don't want to get it going on what I, want to, what I have to do for someone else, and I'm just gonna keep hanging out. Um, or, only reading the Bible when I feel inspired to read the Bible. Because it's not a desire currently, 
I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Um, or going to a worship venue to cultivate an emotion, to cultivate an emotional experience. Emotion, I, I could argue that I'm the most emotional person in here, so I'm not saying emotion's bad. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you've all seen, you've all clearly seen that I'm a very emotionally expressive person. I'm not saying emotion's bad, but um, to have the desire to go to a worship venue for the sake of me feeling emotionally fulfilled um, is reductionistic to the human experience with emotion. Christ covers everything, sadness, anger, fear, all of it. And we don't, we don't need to come to a worship venue to fulfill this deep desire of being satisfied by that one worship set and that one worship song that, that's really, really good. Um, uh, a low view of authority, a low view of those who are in authority over you. Along with that, being critical of things around you when they don't go your way. Because it's not the way that I would do it. It must be wrong. It couldn't be that someone else knows something that I don't know. It must be wrong. Because my deepest desire is telling me that this isn't how it should be. Um, or being defensive when someone points out a weakness. Um, or lastly, just not holding to commitments that, that we make. Because I committed to this, but then I realized halfway through that that actually wasn't my desire. And because my desire is the ultimate authority, I'm going to move on to something else. So, how can we question the answer to the modern self? This is the third one, okay? I'm going to need you to move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, can you click one more? Okay. Fight to see your own gospel identity. Now, there's so much here, and I don't want you to miss it. Because if we don't have a gospel identity, then everything I just said is crushing. We cannot accept criticism if the gospel is not true. Right? We look at ourselves, and it becomes our identity. All of our failures become our identity if the gospel is not true. So, what I want you to do um, is, with the people next to you, write out sense of self, sense of worth, and then say, how does the gospel fill that in? What would the gospel say about sense of self, and what would the gospel say about sense of worth? Okay? Go.
So I, I, I said this last week, if I could convince you of anything, it would be that you are a blessing because you're made in the image of God. You've been blessed to be a blessing so that you can show others the ultimate blesser. So I just want to brainstorm together and talk through what was the gospel, gospel identity look like. So for sense of self, what is our bottom line? What does the Bible say is our bottom line? What, what is our sense of self? What is our bottom line? What does it say about who we are? Yeah, yeah, sense of self is purpose. Yeah, living for God. Yeah, not living for ourselves, living for God, not living for ourselves. Um, a good passage to look at would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. He says, For you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So, when we talk about what we all, all the things that we just did, that's not who you are. Even if you do resonate with some of those things, as I resonated with almost every one of them, that's not who you are. So repentance sometimes needs to look like sackcloth and ashes, like James talks about that. But sometimes repentance just needs to look like you've got sand because you were at the beach and you need to wash it off. It's just not who you are, right? So that's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what does he say? In that passage, what he says is, we are now ambassadors for Christ. Because we want to show people what a great blessing we have. The love of Christ controls me. And because of the love that I've experienced, I can't help but share it with other people. That's who we are. We have been so impacted by the love that God has given us that we can't help but share it with other people. And the more convinced we are, the more convicted we are, that that gospel identity is true of us, that our sense of self and our sense of worth is found in God, the more compelled we'll be to share it with other people. So our sense of self is living for God. I think in every believer, when you get the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, your deepest desire as a new creation becomes that God would be glorified. You want him to be made much of. Jesus is beautiful, and you want people to see that. Every Christian has that because they have the Holy Spirit in them. So we live for God's glory. That is our sense of self. Living to honor God, make much of who he is and what he's done for us. And our sense of worth. What is our sense of worth? Sense of worth is who's our ultimate validator, ultimate authority? Jesus. Jesus, yes. God. God. Yes. God is our ultimate authority. So if somebody doesn't like us, if someone rejects us on the beach today, which you will be, then... Do they have any claim over your life? No. Romans 8.32 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Romans 8.33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring any charge? It is God who justifies. That is our sense of worth. God justifies. And all who are in Christ, there is no condemnation on their life. So every sin, the deepest sin that you know, perhaps some of you haven't even shared with someone before, is completely covered by the blood of Jesus if you are trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior. There's no condemnation in your life. That is our sense of worth. God validated us. He put the stamp of approval on us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the end of that says, He became sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful thing. 
We are as we were meant to be, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, as all humans are meant to be. That's, that is who we are now in Christ. So for the rest of your life, you should be digging more deeply into your gospel identity, your sense of self and your sense of worth in Christ. It will completely change the way that you interact with people. So, um, you have to fight to see your own gospel identity. You move to the next one. You need to fight to see others' identity in their sense of self and sense of worth. So, uh, why don't you just write in parentheses the first name of a non-Christian that you know. And it, what we want to do, I, this, is, this is the tool that I want to give you, this sense of self and sense of worth. When you interact with people, um, what is their sense of self? What, what is their bottom line? What are they living for? What's their purpose in life? What, are, what would they say is their purpose in life? And who's their ultimate validator? That's going to be able to get at the identity of that, of that person. Um, when you see a quote online, when you're on TikTok and somebody says something that seems like everybody's blown up about, what is it? That is their sense of self and their sense of worth. That's going to be able to get it. And then you can look at that and say, now what is the gospel identity? What is our sense of self and sense of worth in Christ? And how does it compare or contrast to what they're saying? Now, I fear, I fear even telling you this because um, I, I'm, I'm this way, and some of you are this way. You will look at this and you'll put people in a box. So you'll say, well, that's their sense of self, and that's their sense of worth. And I'm going to ask them questions, but I already know. I kind of already know what they're, what they're going to say. So write this down. Believe people when they tell you things. Until proven otherwise, believe people when they tell you things. Don't just assume that you know them better than they know you, or that better than they know themselves. But when you're interacting with people, this, is, this can just be a grid. What is their sense of self? What is their sense of worth? What's their purpose? And uh, who is their ultimate validator? This happens best in friendship. Just asking questions and getting to know people. You're going to be able to see it. And finally, last one, Sam. Thank you. Be a blessing to others. By being a blessing to other people, you are going to show something different than the modern identity. The modern self is very inward. Being a blessing to others means you're going to be outward. Look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. It's another identity statement. It is yours. You can do this because it's already yours in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live with selfish ambition. You can bless other people because you are a blessing. And you'll have a lot of joy in doing that. And simply by showing people who Christ is, by being a blessing to them. And we already talked about that last week. All the ways you can be a blessing. By doing that, you're going to be able to question the answers of modern thought. So, next slide. So, I'm going to have you guys think of one non-Christian in your life. You already wrote them down. Um, and answer these two questions. If you had to guess, what would you say is their sense of self? And if you had to guess, what would you say is their sense of of worth. And again, you are guessing. Do not assume that you know. This is just an exercise to 
to think about people that you love um, for the sake of you being able to help them see Christ. So think about this for a couple of couple of minutes, and then we're going to move into the workshop. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into the workshop. God, would you make it very clear to us what our sense of self is, the glory of God, and would you make it clear to us that that is living for that end um, is drinking from the fountain of living waters. It is satisfaction. And um, I pray that you would impress that on us and that we would have a deep desire because of the Holy Spirit in us to honor you and make much of you. And we wouldn't confuse it with legalism and trying to earn our salvation, but we are about what we love. And it's about what we love. We love you. So I pray that you would impress that on our hearts and it would be really clear to us that the end of our life, the purpose of our life is not for ourselves, but it is for you. That's the best thing possible. And would you help us to see that when you put a stamp of approval on our life, nobody can take that away. Who shall bring any charge against God's life? It is God who justifies. Would you make that so clear to us? And then would you be able to help us clearly see things in culture and lovingly, gently poke holes in people's identities for the sake of them knowing Christ. I pray that you would help us to do that in a way that is loving and not putting people in a box. Um, so I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to be showing you guys a new diagram. And uh, Ethan, this next week, is going to go back through this diagram. He's going to go through the bridge diagram. He's going to go through the well diagram. This is the well diagram. And then he's going to go through another one. So if you get to the end of this and you say, I've never seen this before, and this didn't really make sense, we're going to run it back next week. Okay? So. Um, hold up. Okay, so here's the well diagram. So, why don't you find a blank sheet of paper in your notebook, and this diagram gets at identity, gets at what people are living for, gets at what their bottom line is. So write this down, okay? This is what you would do when you're writing it out. Write this down. People follow, give themselves to, trust in, whatever they believe will give them life. So, I'm going to write that out, and if you're sitting down with somebody, you want to define life. What does life mean? And what I would say is life is whatever people believe are their deepest needs. Whatever someone believes is their deepest needs, that's what life is. Now, after you do that, you're going to draw a bunch of random shapes. Like this. Okay. So you're going to write out these shapes. And uh, the shapes represent what people trust in. 
So the shapes represent what people trust in. So life is the deepest needs, and the shapes are whatever people trust in to meet those deepest needs. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take turns with the person who you're engaging with, filling out each one of these shapes. So you could say, what are, what are things people trust in? And it could be a career, relationships, respect, sports, being fit, adventure. And you could keep drawing out more shapes if you wanted to. And as you're doing this, you could say, are there any of these that resonate with you? And you should also share, these are things that resonate with me. I literally resonate with all of these. So, um, so you take turns filling it out, and then once you've exhausted the list, as much as you want, um, then you're going to show them Jeremiah 2.13. Does anybody have 2.12 and 13 memorized? Anybody? Anybody want to try? Paige does. All right, Paige. Let's hear it. Okay, so you're going to write out this verse. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The Jeremiah 2.13. And then after you've written this out, you are going to underline some of the key words in here. Just like we did with the bridge diagram where you underline wages and depth. You're going to underline a few of the key words in here and talk about what they mean. So um, I'll give you a second to write that out. You could write, you could write this below in the shapes if you wanted. Or you could write it there, whatever. Okay, and then you are going to start underlining. So we'll talk about forsaken. What does forsaken mean? So just write this down. Forsaken means abandon, right? If you're defining it, it means abandon. You once were here, and now you've chosen that you don't want that anymore. You're walking away from that. So you've abandoned it. The next one, oh, oh, my um, is hewed. Which some of your Bibles say dug, which makes so much more sense with our English language today. But hewed out cisterns. What does hewed mean? Hewed means dug. Dug. Uh, it means dug. Uh, so if you have dug out a cistern for yourself, it was probably really easy, wasn't it? No, it's a lot of hard work to dig out a cistern. I've Never done it, but I can imagine because I have dug holes before. Um, so you just want to mention, it takes a lot of work. It's a lot of work to dig out a cistern. Now, a cistern, some people are like, what is a cistern? So you want to talk about a cistern? Oh, my goodness. You want to talk about a cistern? I'm going to hit the next one. Thank you. The other one. And uh, what you can do is you can contrast a cistern to a fountain of living waters. A cistern can't create water, it can only hold it, right? A fountain is 
constantly new water running through it. And then you want to do broken. So not only is it a cistern that can't actually produce water, you have to put water into it, it's broken, it doesn't hold the water. Which I think really gets our cultural moment because we all do things that feel satisfying for a second and then you try and replicate that and it doesn't, it doesn't work. So it's broken, it can't even hold water. Now, then finally you want to talk about the fountain of living waters. There we are, fountain of living waters. And you can contrast that with a cistern. The fountain of living waters um, always has water. You don't have to work for it. You can keep coming back and back. There's no work involved. No work involved to a fountain of living waters. It's probably cleaner water, right? So if you look at me two eagles, they've forsaken me in the fountain of living waters and they've got systems for themselves, broken systems that can hold no water. And then what you would want to do is just say, this is, this is the Christian perspective on our life today. We have so many things that are like cisterns that won't satisfy. But as a Christian, what we believe is that God is the fountain of living waters and that we can actually find satisfaction. Wouldn't it be cool if you would never have to look for satisfaction again, you just had it at your disposal, wouldn't that be really cool? And that's what we say as Christians that we have. Now again, you have to define satisfaction because what I'm not saying by satisfaction is that you're always happy. It's, it's more of a, a deep-seated peace that, that we have, knowing that even though there's great grief and anger, pain in our life, our God is good and he's bringing things to a good conclusion. Things will be resolved. That is our satisfaction in Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.